Hello everyone, this is Ben Kelly with Endeavoring Orthodoxy, and uh, today we're going to talk about a classic philosophical problem that has uh, great theological implications with it, and we're going to talk about the Euthyphro Dilemma. Um, the Euthyphro Dilemma is a classic problem of ethics or morality in ancient philosophy, and it has remained applicable and relevant throughout Western civilization and Western history. Now, the dilemma, it's actually presented, it was written by Plato, and it's presented as a dialogue between the philosopher Socrates and a young man named Euthyphro. That's where it gets its name, Euthyphro. And it starts out by Socrates being in front of a courthouse, and um, he meets this young man, Euthyphro, that he knows, and Euthyphro is actually um, there at the court, and he's suing his own father, and he's suing his father because his father has mistreated a servant to the point of death. While um, his father believed a, a servant had done something wrong and he locked the servant up and I think he threw him in a, a ditch or a hole or something like that and waited to hear what should be done with the servant. And while he was waiting, you know, the servant died because of what happened to him um, with the elements and um, didn't survive. And so uh, Euthyphro believed that his father was guilty of doing wrong from a pious or religious perspective. And, and Socrates, our, our main character in this dialogue that is talking with Euthyphro, think this is, thinks this is very strange uh, that a, a young man would come out and sue his own father. So Euthyphro believes that what is pious and holy is actually what the gods want. Yet, at the same time, it's implied that the gods of Euthyphro's tradition, um, this ancient pantheon of, of um, you know, many different gods, they actually disagreed about what was holy and pious. And so um, Socrates begins to question Euthyphro about these different beliefs, about this idea that um, Euthyphro suing his father is the right thing because it is what the gods want and what they love because it is pious and holy. And so the implication by Socrates leads to where the dialogue, it actually gets to a famous question where Socrates asks, you know, whether the pious and the holy is beloved by the gods because it is holy, or is it holy because it is beloved by the gods? So whether the pious and holy is beloved by the gods because it is holy, independent of the gods, or it is holy because the gods love it. So Socrates is not asking Euthyphro necessarily an argue, um, a question about right or wrong. He's asking Euthyphro about the nature of moral goodness. And he's asking Euthyphro, do the gods consider something morally good because it is good of its own, you know, of its own nature, or is something good because the gods say it is good. Now, this, um, this dilemma was originally stated within a polytheistic context, and that's how we understood it, you know, in um, earlier times when, you know, in Plato's time, when he wrote this and he was talking, uh, using Socrates, and he's talking about a a pantheon of many gods, and and there's there was already problems presented with that pro with this dilemma at that time. But this dilemma also has 
a monotheistic context as well. If the dilemma is stated in a Christian context, for example, it could be asked if moral goodness is morally good because God commands it, or does God command moral goodness because it is morally independent of God and God favoring it? So the problem with this dilemma is that on one horn of the dilemma, God's will appears to be arbitrary in that he can choose whatever he wishes to be good. If God wanted something we normally term evil, but that's what he wanted to do, particularly things that go against human flourishing, for example, like if God all of a sudden wanted us to murder people, you know, on one horn in the dilemma, we would say that on this horn that God would permit what we would classically say is an evil act and God would call it good. On the other horn of the dilemma where there's a problem, you know, if God approves of something that is morally good because it is good independent of God, well, then we have a problem because God seems to be submitting himself to something that is independent or outside of him, or extrinsic to his own, um, you know, moral being and his own, uh, his own character and his own goodness. And so at, at that point, it could be even questioned, is God even God? You know, it, he is already where he is, um, and he's submitting himself to something on that horn of dilemma. So on one side of this dilemma, we have this idea that God's will is arbitrary. He can choose whatever he wants to be good. And that just, that, that should make us really uncomfortable because then we would have to argue if, if God wanted to, he could make um, sin good. And that just doesn't seem to fit. Um, especially when we put that against, you know, biblical text and everything that we have there. But on the other horn of the dilemma, we have this idea that God says what is good because there is some kind of external goodness out there that he submits himself to. And, and we don't like that idea as Christians either because we, we don't like the idea of God submitting himself to this kind of external influence. And so we really have a problem here for Christianity and Christian theism. Now, this, this kind of dilemma becomes um, really important in, in philosophical theology when we think about um, Anselmian theology or the perfect being theology. And what I mean by that is um, perfect being theology or Anselmian theology comes from the great medieval theologian and philosopher, uh, St. Anselm, um, he was, he is the one who is responsible for what we now call the ontological argument for God's existence in apologetics, Christian apologetics. Um, he's arguing from the existence of God to talk about how God is the greatest conceivable being. And what we get from Anselm's argument over the centuries of Christian thinking is this idea of God as a perfect being, perfect being theology. If you can think of something that is greater than God, well, then you have not really come up with a proper concept of who God actually is. And so this idea and how we will attack the dilemma of Euthyphro really spurs from this perfect being theology, this um, ontological argument that Anselm set out or set out for us. And so this, we want to have that in mind when we go into looking at this kind of problem. So the, the solution for the dilemma, we could really, in my opinion, I believe we could call it a false dilemma. I, I don't think it's really 
um, a true dilemma because I don't think these are the only two options. I don't think we have to choose either God's will is arbitrary or God, you know, um, is subservient to some external kind of goodness out there. I don't think those are the only two options. And, but I think we can, what we can do is we can highlight positive aspects about diff, both horns of the dilemma and differentiate between some things that are important with there. And so on one side, where we talk about God's will being arbitrary, you know, does God, you know, love the good because he has chosen it, he has called it good. Um, that that with the concern there would be if if we take that that horn of the dilemma to its logical ends, you know God's will is then arbitrary. But there are some good things about that horn that we we want to uphold. And when when we look at the difference between, we have to point out some differences be, between what is good. Um, and when we look at goodness in a philosophical sense, we have to differentiate between. Um, moral goodness and also moral obligation or things that we we have to do and so i think what we can say from a biblical standpoint is that god can obligate us to do something and what he what he commands of us to do is morally right in that sense that we are obligated to follow his commands however i don't think we want to embrace an idea that whatever god says is morally good is then morally good because then God would God could be the God of contradiction. He could contradict himself where he would say um, something is good, um, you know, at one time and then um, the exact opposite is good at another time. We we don't want to embrace a theology like that, and, and the Bible doesn't present a theology like that at all. And so we want to be very careful when we're working with that uh, that horn of the dilemma. But there is an idea there that when we look at moral obligation, there is an idea that we can say, yes, it, it is right to follow God's commands when he commands us, but we can only say that if we look at the, the proper good things about the other horn of dilemma, and that is where we talk about God loving goodness, and it's not that goodness is something outside of God himself, but goodness is part of his moral character. Goodness is actually part of the very essence and the being of God. It's part of his ontology. And so if we, have, if we take the, the, the good stuff on both horns of the dilemma, what we have here is we have a God who um, is not subservient to some kind of moral goodness out there you know, that's external to him. He is the standard of moral goodness. He is the standard of what is right and just in the universe, and that is part of his being, that is part of his essence. And if he is a creature like that, then if he commands us to do something that is morally right, that we are obligated to do, then that is, that is, that is something that is good. It's not something that is arbitrary. It's something that is based on his own moral character and his own moral essence. And so by God being a morally perfect character, being um, something that is part of his very essence, he can then command his creatures to follow moral commands. And then they, we, his creatures, we must respond and we are obliged to respond to his moral commands because his God's very essence 
is moral goodness. It's moral perfection. It's not something that's outside of him. It's something that is a part of him. And that's how we, that is really how we have classically understood this dilemma, how we have classically tried to answer it. Now, some of the, some of the people I've list, I've, you know, I've ran up against, I've, I've heard pastors try to answer this before who are not um, philosophically, you know, they, they don't have a lot of training that way, or even theologically, they, a lot of times, and, and this, and this comes from my own tradition, I'm more of a reformed Calvinist, but I'll, I'll hear pastors a lot of times say, oh, you know, uh, God can say whatever he wants is good. And, you know, um, he wouldn't sin, but if he did, he could. And I just don't see how we can say something like that. I, I don't think we understand what we're talking about when we say things like God could sin if he wanted to. No, if, if goodness, and I believe the Bible does paint this picture, and this has been the classical theological understanding really since the time of Augustine, uh, but we really see it come to fruition in Anselm. But seeing God as the standard of moral goodness, seeing him as the standard, as something that moral goodness is his very essence and is in his very being, if he is like that, then he cannot sin. Then that's not something, that's not saying that this is something that God can't do, or that's, that's not a limitation on God. The idea of God sinning is it's, it's, an, it's not an idea. It's like saying there are married bachelors or, or something like that, or a squared circle. There, that's just something that doesn't exist. And we really need to start thinking that way when we talk about God, um, especially you know, in the circles that I run with, who, with people who are so theologically concerned about upholding um, the sovereignty and the providence of God, which is a good thing. I, I want that to be upheld. But we can't uphold it to the point where it violates God's moral goodness and his will. We cannot uphold those things to the point where we would say God can sin if he wanted to and it wouldn't be sin. No, that is, that is absolutely wrong. That is unbiblical. That is not how um, Christians have thought about this for th literally thousands of years. That is just totally untrue. And that is an overcorrection into God's sovereignty. And really, that that lines up with more of Islamic conceptions of God, where they, they, they believe, a lot of times they believe, and I don't want to speak for everyone, I'm not an expert in you know, Islamic theology, but um, there are sects of um, Islamic thought that believe that God's will is arbitrary, and he can choose to do whatever he wants at any time. Um, he can even choose to contradict himself, and that's okay. And, and just as Christians, we don't believe that. We don't, we don't believe that that's right. The Bible does not speak that way about God, and then the history of theology has not spoken that way about God. So we can see how this dilemma of Euthyphro, how this dilemma in ancient philosophy really has some great important theological implications to it and how we think about God. Because if we are thinking of God to where we, we understand him, where he is subservient or less than, you know, some kind of moralistic ideal out there, well, we haven't thought of God properly. He is not the greatest conceivable being. And at the same time, on the other horn of the dilemma, if we think that God can just arbitrarily change his will, 
we again have not understood God to his fullest extent. We have not understood the perfect being of God and that goodness is actually part of his moral character. Is it, it's not just an attribute, it's part of his very essence. And so again, this ancient uh, question in philosophy has great importance for Christians today. Uh, we need to continue to think about these things, to understand them and to use them when we talk and we teach in our churches and when we help, when we try to understand and help other people understand God as the greatest conceivable being. So I hope this was beneficial for you today. I hope that you learned something. Um, if, you, if you would, please subscribe to my channel. I'm going to be uploading content like this every week, and I hope that you learned something. So um, other than that, God bless you, and um, have a great day.